I basically just challenged myself to build a first version of a GraphQL backend service in a couple of days. We wanted to base it on open source technology and these kind of open source technologies, namely GraphQL, unlock the huge potential of flexibility. We haven't found a single use case where you might want to pick REST over GraphQL. What GraphQL really allows you to do is you get a super flexible API layer. It's super nice and I think it's the same sort of feeling I got when I first started doing Firebase. Hey, this is Brian and you're listening to Jamstack Radio, a bi-weekly series where we discuss the Jamstack, a new way of building websites and apps that are fast, secure and simple to work with. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. So welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio. On the line, we've got Eli Williamson. Eli? Hey there, listeners. Hey, Eli. And then in the booth, I guess per se, we've got Johannes and I don't know, how do you say your last name? We spent so much time trying to figure out how to say your first name. Give it a try. Schickling? Yeah, it was pretty good. Schickling, yeah. Schickling, <laughs> okay. So it, as, it, as it spells, that's how it sounds. Yeah, exactly. Cool. And uh, so we had you come in to talk a little bit about GraphQL and GraphCool, which mm-hmm. is, I think, probably one of the coolest names for a project that I've, I've come across uh, as of late. <laughs> um, but can you talk about who you are and how you got here, and maybe a little bit about GraphCool? Sure. So I'm Johannes. And I'm one of the founders of, of GraphQL. So I found myself in like a situation about a year ago. I've just sold the company I was previously working on. It was like an Instagram for VR. We just sold that and had like a huge bucket list of, of technologies I wanted to dive into. What was the name um, of that company that you sold? Um, Optonaut. That was like, a, yeah. <laughs> okay. So I had like this huge bucket list of technologies I was writing down every, every night basically, and I didn't have the chance previously to, to check it out. And pretty much on top of that list was GraphQL. So I just wanted to kind of dive into it and build something quickly with it. And while thinking about it, the concept of backend as a service kind of really appealed to me. I used Parse before, I used Firebase before, but some of the, the core problems for me always appearing was that it's too limited yeah. and not really flexible enough. And the flexibility on, on the API level, that was really solved by GraphQL. So I basically just challenged myself to build a first version of a GraphQL backend as a service in like a, a couple of days. So I've built that and just told my friends about it, whether they would use it or not. And one of the people I've showed it to ended up being my co-founder. So he just flew over to, to London and we, we iterated on this on this prototype. And yeah, basically took it from there. Cool. And now it's like a full, like you have customers, it's a business, people using it for their products. Yeah, exactly. So we, we have thousands uh, of customers. We are now a team of five people. Nice. And uh, yeah, we've raised a small investment round in December last year from people, for example, like the, the founder of Heroku or also diverse angels from, from Singapore or, or London. Nice, nice. So you mentioned a little briefly about the limitations of like Parse and Firebase. Mm-hmm. Can you go into more of like what's wrong with their implementation of backend as a service? Like I, I wouldn't say it's, it's something wrong about the implementation. I think the fundamental difference they've taken and what we choose to do is that we wanted to base it on open source technology. Okay. And these kind of open source technologies, and namely GraphQL. Unlock a, uh, like a huge potential of flexibility. So, for example, Parse 
gave you a couple of options how to use their service. The most popular one was an SDK you could build into your mobile apps, but it also provided a, a RESTful API. You could do some of the things you can do with GraphQL, but not the whole spectrum. And what GraphQL really allows you to do is you get a super flexible API layer where you just specify basically what kind of data you want. You specify the structure of it and you get back data exactly of that shape. Yeah. So the flexibility of the API layer is a really huge deal. The other challenge we are trying to solve and where we currently have probably the, the most sophisticated uh, solution for is our permission layer. So most backends and services don't give you the flexible tools to specify complex permission rules. So for example, you can always say something like user Bob as the role page admin, therefore he's allowed to create posts and delete posts. Yeah. But you cannot really specify something as complicated as building an Instagram and you say, this person follows me and I need to activate his, his, uh, his following and just then he can kind of like see my pictures or, or comment yeah. on these pictures. So this is something where we are leveraging the structure of the data graph to let you specify uh, permission rules. Okay, and that's similar to like a GitHub where you can have someone in the organization that can have read access but not write access or vice versa? Uh, for example, but you can uh, specify way more flexible rules than that. Okay. There's basically no limitation on that. And if you want to specify rules that um, are not really encapsulated in the graph data structure on its own, then you can always fall back to invoking uh, Lambda functions. So that's actually the second big part of our platform. So one part of it is that it's based on GraphQL, but the real the extensibility comes from Lambda functions. Yeah. So that you can, at every given point of time, you can implement your business logic using Lambda functions, or you can implement um, permission logic using Lambda functions. And when I'm saying Lambda functions, I don't necessarily only mean AWS Lambda, but just uh, the concept of serverless functions. On yeah, its own. functions as a service. Kind of, as well. Yeah. yeah. We had actually had an entire episode on functions as a service and use cases for that. All right. So we covered like cron jobs, form handling, uh, um, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. As a front end developer, I have very limited knowledge of, of the structure that typical. Databases use. And I know that you mentioned earlier that yours is differentiated from some other folks in the space. Do you mind elaborating a little bit on the relational structure between models, nodes, schemas, etc.? Uh, and then how yours differentiates from some of the other guys? Mm -hmm, of course. So the basic approach is you basically define a type system. So you wouldn't go ahead and say, like, this is how I want to lay out my relational database in a way that you specify a schema for normalized tables, but you rather specify a type for every kind of model you have in your in your data model. So let's say we are building like a Twitter on Instagram and we have this this model called a, a post. So you would just ask, create a couple of fields for this post. So for example, a description which is of type string and so on. And then if you want to also create um, a model called a comment, then you can just create a relation between these two models. And we manage all of the relation handling 
on our side, and that's just abstracted away. So the the level of abstraction it could actually look like that it's using a graph database, even though we're using a combination of relational database uh, in our background and some some levels of caching based on Redis, for example. And how that distinguishes from other backends as a service at the moment is, so for example, if you if you look at Firebase, they have just uh, basically this, this enormous JSON blob you kind of storing in your backend, and you cannot really give it a structure out of the box. You also have the problem that you usually have to duplicate a lot of data. So you have just this one view on your data, and then you have to have to duplicate the actual data nodes a lot. That's entirely not the case in our system. So we want to really embrace the structure of your data in, in terms of a graph. Yeah, I guess to reiterate, I just thought of a project I literally just built with a, one of the bootcamp students I mentor, and we built a chat app, mm-hmm. and in that chat app we've got rooms, so you can go to different rooms to uh-huh. chat in, similar to like Slack, mm-hmm. and then inside those rooms we have messages. Yeah. Uh, but with the problem with Firebase that we had, which I'm not sure, we didn't dig too much deeper into how to make the relation between rooms and messages work, but we had to create basically a key of messages and then a key of rooms, Inside of, and then inside of rooms, we had to recreate those the exactly, same messages exactly. by pointing to the IDs of the keys, so that way we can kind of like cross filter between the two. Exactly. And this was a beginner project, so we didn't want to get too deep into like relations and really try to like hack away at trying to make this work. But we just wanted like just a, a quick prototype, so that way our UI worked. Right. And uh, so I had uh, it was challenging to like create that structure, and I could see. The way GraphQL is set up, like being able not to be limited to needing to like duplicate the data and having that relationship actually work realistically um, would have been nice. So you would basically just create these single nodes representing a, a single room or a single message, and then you would basically connect these nodes with edges. If you imagine a data graph, and you don't need to duplicate the the room. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, with that duplication, is there any duplication of queries? Does GraphQL handle it as a single query or multiple queries? Like uh, I think Firebase does it that way. Right. Um, so we generate a schema out of the box, which allows for for basically all the use cases you might run into. So, for example, we for let's say you have a the, to pick up on the chat example. You might have a model called room, and you might have a model called message. So you get two sorts of queries. One is all messages, where you literally get all messages, and you can just filter them down to that you just get the messages you're really interested in. For example, to filter all messages by a certain author or all messages which got sent um, in in the last hour, or something like this. Or you could also Get a particular message you're interested in, and get it, for example, by its ID or by a certain author. That sounds pretty handy. Are there any other tools? I know I was poking around a little bit earlier, and there's a few starter kits that are super easy to spin up. Speaking of the Instagram example that you were mentioning earlier, I was able to spin that thing up in just a few minutes. I love those those little out of the box kits, especially when you're starting to dabble around with some of this stuff. Right. So I think your question was, are there more examples? We are actually at the moment working on a pretty big example, and hopefully by the moment uh, the show airs, we'll have a complete intercom example. So oh. we, we want to do like a multi-episode tutorial series where people can build an, like a fully-fledged intercom alternative. So they would basically 
being walked through all the concepts of our platform, and while doing so, they will build would build an intercom they they could use in, in their own product. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I would definitely be going through that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I like your approach too. I know you guys have partnered, like you created the learnrelay.org mm-hmm. uh, and then also learnapollo.org yeah. as well. Like I like the approach of just walking someone through a very trivial app. Like the intercom example sounds a little less trivial. Like it sounds pretty realistic to use. But I like the like Eli said, I also created that Instagram clone as well. Just to get your your feet wet and understand like how much work GraphCool is gonna mm-hmm. do for you. It's super nice. And I think it's the same sort of feeling I got when I first started doing Firebase. Like I built a lot of mobile apps. Right. And it was nice to not have to worry about using like core data or yeah. really trying to invest into whatever my backend as a solution was. Like I can just use something that already has a structure there. I can get my app up and running. My UI looks great. And if I want to then at that point see if I want to con- commit to GraphCool, I can. Like if I don't have a paid plan, I can just have paid plans now. Yeah. But yeah, for front end UI developers, it takes out the need for the knowledge to. Also, build your back end when exactly. all you want to do is just make a beautiful app. Exactly. And at the same time, maintaining the flexibility that you can grow beyond a prototype on MVP. Yeah. And then I, I don't know if you caught, uh, picked up on this, Eli, too, when you were researching, but when you set up your queries, like if you were to add a new table to your query, there's no updating you have to do other than adding a new item to your query in GraphQL. Exactly. So exactly. If you, your Instagram example, like let's say now you want to add videos, yeah. like you can just add another video table and exactly. it works. Exactly. And if you would do a change that would kind of like change your schema in a breaking way, we're going to warn you about it. We're going to help you with running migrations and so that you're always aware uh, the step you, you're going to perform, what kind of impacts that might might have. Yeah. We had talked before off air about Jamstack and how everything fits in the Jamstack and how we're trying to move people away from the term static and the more hyperdynamic. And now we're trying to push Jamstack because, like, you guys fit right there in the A of the, the exactly. API section of Jam. <laughs> like, all you have to do is worry about your JavaScript, your markup, and GraphCool brings in the API for you. So your, your database is already set up for you. For the most part, you could add and remove stuff as well. Excellent. Um, I do like your, your UI as well. Like, <laughs> I found your UI was actually super easy to grasp, more than Firebase because Firebase, I think it's. I really miss the old Firebase before they were bought by Google because I feel like their documentation was a little more verbose and it had better examples. I think, hmm. unfortunately, I, I I hate the knock because I'm a big fan of Firebase, but I hate the knock Firebase now. But I feel like their documentation's been watered down even further to fit a more broader use case. But when you first open up Firebase, you get this empty object, and that's yeah. about it. Like. You're not sure what you're looking at, especially if you're coming new. Like I said, I, I mentor bootcamp students, so we have all different levels of skills of people just learning how to code to start up with. And there's no real handholding there to actually understand. Like, okay, this is the actually it's JSON. It's this a JavaScript object? Here, just go to this slash endpoint. Exactly. Um, but I, I like your your UI where it just kind of handholds you into oh, adding your first query <laughs> and your first your first object in the database. Um, so quickly to pick up on the on the A of the Jamstack, we not just allow you to specify your your database schema, but you can also integrate with all sorts of services. So for example, if you want to use Algolia and you want to to use the the real time search aspect of of Algolia, you would just enable an integration. So you would enter your Algolia credentials. You would create um, an index. And the index might be linked to a model. So let's say for all the messages of your chat app, you want to have them searchable through Algolia. So you would just on our platform create an, an index 
and which says all the messages or you can filter them will automatically be synced up to Algolia and you can use that out of the box. So it makes all the other A's in the Jamstack even easier. Nice. And I saw that that announcement about Agolia. Um, was it last week or the week before? Um, yeah, last week. Very cool. That's a super awesome integration. Do you guys have any other integrations coming out? Or? Yeah, so we, we also integrate with Auth0, Digit. We're uh, working on numerous other authentication integrations. We're also currently looking into a more sophisticated Stripe integration. Okay. But um, Stripe is a bit of a tricky one since we the last thing we would want is just to channel through all the Stripe API calls yeah. since that would basically erase the, uh, the security concepts of Stripe. So Stripe has a lot of security certifications and all of them will be invalidated if you would just proxy through the server-side API. So we have to be a bit smarter about this. Okay. When GraphQL handles a lot of the back end, how does that speed up your workflow? I'm sure it has some impact because you don't have you have this whole other component that you don't have to worry about. Does it speed it up immensely, or, or can you go a little bit more into detail about how it speeds it up? Um, definitely. So our core mission is basically maximizing this delta of developer experience. So the service we're building, you could also build it yourself. But what you actually want to get to is when you build a backend, you're not necessarily interested in like wiring up the data from your database that it matches the schema you're exposing from GraphQL. But what you're interested in is that your backend actually exposes the schema you want it to do and also to perform the business logic. So, and we directly get you to this goal that you can just focus on implementing the business logic and just focus on specifying. The constraints around your your data set, and this is basically how we save you a lot of time. So that's on the development side. It also speeds up things on the front end side as well. Do you mind elaborating a bit on that? Definitely. So this is how we can profit a lot from GraphQL itself. So GraphQL has so many nice benefits in in, in terms of uh, what kind of opportunity it unlocks in in terms of tooling. So you get type safety for your queries you have on the client side you can save a lot of additional round trips so i could just elaborate on the on the upsides of graphql on its own but what we are adding on top of this is for example that we are providing individual endpoints which match different kind of technologies so for example we're providing a dedicated relay endpoint which should be used with Facebook's relay framework, which kind of introduces a lot of additional fields around how the schema should be set up. So we provide that out of the box. But if you want to use Apollo, for example, you can use a way simpler schema. So we provide an additional endpoint, which just exposes the, the bare necessities uh, that you can use that building applications with Apollo, which saves you a lot of legwork. Yeah, we actually had the Apollo guys on a couple episodes ago. So they talked about more in detail like their use case and actually consuming GraphQL on the front end. But I guess if listeners didn't listen to that, and also for the benefit of Eli who wasn't on that episode, Apollo and Relay basically consume your GraphQL endpoint and you're able to actually, rather than deal with um, like parsing JSON or whatever you get back from GraphQL, it actually parses it for you and then you can talk to your Apollo client and then use that as your interaction for your data. Exactly. So similar to, uh, like Redux is overly popular. The React Apollo uh, client is a lot similar to the React Redux client. So you have that store that you can just access all your data exactly. um, from, which is super nice. It's nice to not have to, again, it, it feels like 
we're moving with React as it was a library that rethought the way you built your UI, and then along came Flux and Redux that rethought the way you build your your backend, well your front end for your, your backend for your front end, and I think uh, some of these tools make it a little easier to manage all that blob of data. Exactly, and they and they match really well together. So yeah. uh, a couple of other things we do in uh, what makes it even easier to build apps from the front end is we are trying to optimize for a couple of scenarios. So imagine you want to create like a post and for this post you want to create a location at the same time. So in a traditional REST world, for example, you might want to create a location in the first place, kind of save the ID of this location and then create the, the post. And what we allow you to do is use so-called nested mutation. So you can create a post and a sub-object of the post you want to create is the location itself. So you can create not just one node at a time, but a whole subgraph of nodes you want to create. Another nice example of how we are moving complexity, how we are solving complexity and giving front-end developers the upsides of it is, for example, our filter syntax. So you don't need to implement crazy filter algorithms on the back end to give you a lot of flexibility in the front end. We are solving that for you. And you can filter the data exactly how you want it and how you need it in the client and based on a, on a GraphQL type system. So for example, you want to get all messages from Brian. So you just say, give me all messages where the author, the name matches Brian. Basically, you have a fully fully blown Boolean algebra to express what kind of rules you want to convey in this, and therefore you have like a really powerful powerful way to to filter and search data. Very cool. Yeah. So I don't know if this is an underhand pitch of a question, but what's your outlook on GraphQL as a whole for like 2017? Is like, I guess speaking to the skeptic of someone's like, I already use REST APIs. This already works for me. Like, why would I want to use GraphQL? Right. So we've looked into GraphQL a lot over the last year, as you might imagine, and we haven't found a single use case where you might want to pick REST over GraphQL. You see it with companies like GitHub settling on on GraphQL, and a lot of other companies are now officially using GraphQL. What particularly excites me is that GraphQL is maturing a lot. So GraphQL has now this official RFC process. So yeah. we actually have quite a couple of features we'd love to see in GraphQL. And the best way for us to contribute is to open RFC, discuss it with the community, and see how that evolves. So there are also really exciting features coming up. For example, GraphQL subscriptions. So over the next couple of months, we will really see a lot more movement around the, the real-time aspect of GraphQL. Lee Byron last year kind of teasered a lot of neat features of GraphQL, for example, live queries or the patch syntax. And so there, there are just like a lot of ideas floating around which are not yet landed in GraphQL. And hopefully we'll, we'll see a lot of these in, in 2017. Yeah, and I think it, it helps too, because uh, we didn't mention while recording, Lee Byron's actually an advisor of yours, uh, yeah, for we're, we're very fortunate to, yeah. to work with them and kind of bounce a couple of ideas with them. To to for example, the, the filter syntax um, we've released, we got some great advice from him. Also, our permission system, 
we're pretty happy about the, the feedback yeah. we got from him. So he said kind of that to some extent we've re-implemented the way Facebook works with that. So yeah, that that's yeah. Uh, pretty pretty cool. And I guess I should preface Lee Byron's the creator of GraphQL. Uh, one of the one, one of, of the creators of the three, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's well, the most outspoken, I guess. He he seems to be the one that leads uh, the conversation at uh, conferences. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Which is a nice person to have. I think you're actually out of only fourteen, fifteen episodes of this podcast, you're our third GraphQL um, <laughs> episode. Mainly because it's something I'm super interested in. And hopefully that gets us closer to Lee Byron than coming on. So Lee, oh, I might be might be happy to to make a connection there. Yeah, yeah. cool. I would love to have him on. I think that kind of wraps up uh, most of our questions on GraphQL and GraphQL. I think uh, we'll leave it at that. I think it's a really good introduction. As I mentioned, you guys have really good tutorials out there. Learn Apollo, learn Relay, and just the GraphQL docs are growing as well. So. Or the GraphQL docs, the GraphQL docs are also growing. Hopefully, I'm enunciating GraphQL and GraphQL separately. People will kind of get that, but uh, if you're not, just Google both of them. <laughs> well, it might be intended to some degree. Yeah, where the uh, I guess uh, I'm trying to wrap this up, but where did the actual name come from? Did you guys did you have a shop a bunch of names? Well, so I just checked whether dot cool is a is a thing, and yeah. then it was, and that was settled in for me. Wow. <laughs> That's easy. Wow, it's like picking a band name. Sometimes it takes forever, and sometimes it's super easy. Yep. <laughs> awesome. Cool. So I'm gonna segue right into picks. We do jam picks, which is basically anything you're jamming on, stuff that gets you going, music, TV, food. Have you been to San Francisco before? Just once before. Okay. Cool. So if you have any San Francisco picks, um, maybe that you want to check out, or if that maybe I can throw a San Francisco pick in there for you. Uh, I'm actually I will give one. With that being said, I'll go first uh, since I am the host. I'll go first right. and give you guys an option to. Uh, Parlay to the other person, but my picks. One is actually going to be a TV show. I just binge watch in two days. It's a short season. It's called Humans, and it's an AMC show that I've never heard of until like I have Amazon Prime. I don't know if you guys have it over in, in the UK. Uh, yeah, yeah. So they have the shipping, two day shipping, but they also have the video service, yeah, which okay. not a lot of people use. So I forget that I have it because I <laughs> use the shipping so much that I was just looking for something to watch. Found this show called Humans, which turned out it's an AMC show that I'd never heard of. Watched the eight episodes and basically four episodes a night. So I've gone through the entire first season. I think the second season just started like this week. It's actually really good. It's a, if you're a fan of Westworld, it's in that vein. Uh, not to give away too much, but it's also in the vein of Battlestar Galactica and etc. So it's pretty cool. I mean, if you if you like the idea of, uh, I don't want to give it away. Just watch it if you're into those two other shows. Um, my other pick would be for a San Francisco pick. What I usually try to do. Almost every couple months, I try to go to Marin, up to the Marin Headlands. It's you basically it's north of here. You go over the Golden Gate Bridge, and it's got really awesome hiking trails. And you can also see the bridge. And when it's foggy, it's pretty awesome because it's really cold compared. Like it's even colder than San Francisco normally, and up in Marin when there's fog. So I highly recommend checking that out. Either that, or if you have to Uber to it, I rather Lands Inn is another. It's very similar. It's just on the San Francisco side. I prefer Marin because there's less tourist on that side. But Lands Inn's another one. Uh, so if you're in the hiking, definitely check that out. If you're in the city, I also want to pick Oakland, which I don't know. A lot of people come to San Francisco. They go to the Bay Area and then the South Bay down the Silicon Valley. But Oakland seems to be neglected. I live there. And my neighborhood's actually, it got put on the list of the best neighborhoods to look for in 2017, which is scary and a good thing at the same time, because <laughs> uh, I pay cheap rent, uh, but it's not going to be the case uh, if I ever move. But uh, it's a, Oakland's a pretty awesome neighborhood, and I uh, highly recommend checking it out that. And that's it for me on picks. Uh, Eli, did you have any picks you wanted to share? 
things you're jamming on? Absolutely. Uh, I'll start with the silver screen. Me and my wife, we just checked out Passengers the other day. I know it's it's a little late. It, it debuted a while ago, but I was truly amazed by the cinematic beauty in that movie. It's not just kind of 3D eye candy, but rather a truly intense and creative plot that kind of keeps you on the edge of your seat, and we truly enjoyed it. It's kind of a longer movie, but we didn't mind it. It felt like it kind of flew by because it was so in- intriguing and engaging. The other pick I have is in the music realm of things. At the time of recording this, uh, Valentine's Day was yesterday, and uh, of course you kind of break out the the lovers playlists and and all that good stuff. But one of the songs that kind of caught my ear again was uh, the Generationals, called "When They Fight They Fight." Um, it's just a, a beautiful melody that uh, always kind of lifts spirits, uh, despite its its kind of uh, content being a bit confrontational at times. But it's a great mix, and I, I definitely recommend checking it out. Very cool, and Johannes. Sweet. So I was kind of expecting more technical picks. So that, that's, oh, yeah, that's, that's what I've been brainstorming about. So I've been recently checking out a technology similar to, to serverless, but on, a, on another dimension okay. uh, called Standard Lib. Okay. So that's actually a really cool technology. It's kind of really a function as a service. So yeah. you can compose um, basically Lambda functions. They they give you kind of like an NPM, but for your functions. And that kind of level of abstraction really makes a lot of sense for us. And we want to yeah. also integrate it in, in, into GraphQL. Yeah. So You're I able ha- to share functions like that NPM side? Um, yeah, exactly. So okay, you kind cool. of have like a marketplace for your functions. Nice. And, uh, so that, that really strikes like the right level of abstraction for me. Yeah. Another tool we've built on our own, which I'd love to share, we haven't really spoken about it before, it's called Prep, which is all about server-side rendering. But it's not really server-side rendering, but rather build-time pre-rendering. So I think the whole server-side rendering, especially around Jamstack and so on, is still fairly unexplored. Yeah. And of course, you can kind of like proxy your entire static site, but that also defies a lot of the the nice benefits of it. So what the tool we've built is ba- it's super simple. So it's basically using Electron. It kind of hosts the build folder locally hosts the, the static build folder of your single page application. It opens that up in Electron or in a, in a headless way and just waits until the website is, is loaded and then just takes the generated HTML and writes it back into a new index HTML and you can iterate over your routes, you can even like get dynamic routes and therefore you can, for static marketing pages, you can pre-render at build time your entire React app or Vue apps or something like that. Wow, that sounds uh, pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, I think the idea of how to approach server-side rendering, I, th- I think the term server-side rendering is all wrong. I think the approach is wrong too. I know if I would do pre-rendering, we use pre-render.io under the hood. Right. Uh, but this sounds actually super intriguing, so I think I'm about to check it out. I think you put a link in the show notes too as well. Yeah, exactly. Very cool. Well, Johannes, thanks for coming into the studio here. Yeah, at thanks for having me. All the way from uh, the UK, is that? Um, so this is where we started out. At the moment, we are based in Berlin, but we yeah. are also looking to to move to to the Bay Area here in a couple of months. 
Okay, cool. Well, awesome. Well, I will have to show you all the good eats next time you're out here. Yeah, see you in Oakland, I guess. <laughs> yeah, Oakland. It's a place to be. It's Uber's going to Oakland, so you know it's gonna it's gonna blow <laughs> they up. Let you out. <laughs> yeah, Joanna, thanks for coming on. Eli, thanks for coming on to sit in the second chair as well. Always a pleasure. And um, yeah, guys, keep spreading the jam. That's all the time we have for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. 